From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. This week on the podcast, we'll focus a little more on races here in Texas, specifically the Texas House, which Democrats feel is in play in November. To talk about it, I'll talk to James Bear again of the Dallas Morning News and Jim Riddlesberger, a political science professor at TCU. But first, Julie Fine is here. A little bit of a different format to the podcast this week as there's no TV show. Uh, and Julie... I guess Gromer has an excused absence. Gromer does. Gromer is involved with the Senate debate. So, yeah, and it turned out that the French Open is actually on this weekend, so we don't have a show. So I don't have to do it without my partner. And you're giving him a free pass on that one? Absolutely. He always gets a free pass. I mean, on this one, (laughs) definitely. So we'll get to that state-level races here in just a second, but let's zoom out a little bit big picture stuff first. The vice presidential debate was last week. What did you take away from that event? You know, I think both held their own. Uh, I think at times both ducked the questions, but essentially I'm not sure that a vice presidential debate really tips the scales. I think they both were able to make the case for the top of the ticket. That's really how I think it all played out. So I thought I would be asking you about what we should look for at the next presidential debate, but we found out that The debate commission wanted to go virtual. President Trump said he didn't want to do a virtual debate. And the Biden campaign quickly pivoted to schedule a town hall style format uh, for him to answer questions from voters next week. What does that do to both campaigns? Is there a benefit to one or the other? Or do you think it doesn't matter at all? You know, both campaigns can do whatever they want that night now. So, you know, you do a debate and there's always discussion after and it dominates the news cycle. So each of the candidates now has an opportunity to do whatever they choose with that time. So I think it was very talked about. I think there was a lot surrounding it. But at the end of the day, each candidate gets to go ahead and do what they want that night. And the final presidential debate is scheduled for October 22nd. That's a Thursday night. At this point, it's still on. Do you think that's going to be the case a couple weeks from now? You know, I have learned in this race, I just don't predict. Um, I mean, Fair enough. I, I'd be, you know, I think it's all going to depend. I really do think it's all going to depend. So we'll see as that draws a little bit closer. But we mentioned we were going to talk about the Texas House this week, and it works out without a presidential debate to preview coming up. So the Biden campaign announced last week it would be investing $6 million to campaign in Texas. And Friday, they announced that Dr. Jill Biden would be making a campaign stop in Texas. And aside from the presidential or the vice presidential candidate, that's about as big as it gets. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Biden camp wants to show that they're taking Texas seriously. Now, statistically, the former vice president and Senator Kamala Harris are behind in the state of Texas. But I think that Democrats, I mean, former El Paso representative Beto O'Rourke basically said, hey, come here, do some work for us, help us out here. So I think the Biden campaign is showing that they, you know, they're taking Texas seriously. I think you're seeing that from national Democrats as well in the congressional races. And I think that money's going into the House races as well. So on the subject of those House races, Democrats flipped 12 seats in 2018 They need nine more this year to take control of the House. Is that a tall order to keep those dozen seats they gained in 18 plus add nine more? Listen, I think 
flipping anything is a you know it's somewhat of an order but i think this is the year democrats feel they have the best opportunity to do so i talked with james barrigan who we'll hear in just a minute about specifically tarrant county texas house members and he says some of them were caught off guard in 2018 in races that hadn't been that competitive in the past this year they have plans to be a little more prepared so it'll be interesting to see julie how the enthusiasm that the Democrats feel is on their side goes up against a Republican party that is a little bit more maybe prepared than it was a couple of years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, 2018, I mean, I've had state representatives say on the show was somewhat of a wake up call. I mean, you look at Collin County and you look at Fort Worth as well. So I think, you know, everyone's working hard for their seat this year and it'll be interesting to see how that affects the voters. All right, Julie, we'll let you get going, but thanks for taking a few minutes to stop by and uh, enjoy your Sunday morning off. Chris, you're rocking this. Thanks so much. Now to break down the race for the Texas House even more, here's my conversation with James Berrigan of the Dallas Morning News. James Berrigan covers politics for the Dallas Morning News. He's covered the last two legislative sessions in Texas for the paper and joins us now on the Lone Star Politics podcast. James, thanks for jumping on. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. So we're focusing a little more this week on Texas, not necessarily the national races, but looking at some state House and Senate races. The Democrats need nine seats to flip the Texas House of Representatives. Why is that so important this year? Yeah, it's a big deal. And really at at the morning news, we think it's actually the biggest story in Texas. You know, a lot of people are talking about the presidential and the Senate race between Cornyn and Hager. But we think that this is really the one that there's been more infrastructure laid out on, that the past election has shown that there's some movement on the Democratic side, and that, you know, we saw this week that the money is actually developing for Democrats to actually make those challenges. It's a big deal because uh, Republicans have been in charge of Texas politics since the mid-90s and really have held all branches of government since 2003 when Republicans took the Texas House for the for first time in like 80 years or something like that. And that was a big sea change in Texas because Democrats had really held a, a grip on Texas politics for a long time. As demographics and politics shifted, Republicans became the dominant party here in Texas. And like I said, they've held every branch of government for the last 17 years. And so for Texas Democrats, who've been the minority party for so long, and have just been beaten down and beaten down and beaten down and have not been able to move any of their, you know, policies, really, it's a big deal for them to actually be making a challenge for the Texas House. Now they need nine cumulative spots. It's still a pretty tall order because they flipped 12 seats last time in 2018, right? So you got to hold on to all those 12 seats that you flip, which a lot of people think that they were, quote unquote, flukes from the Beto race. There was a big blue wave, including here in, here in Dallas. And so you've got to hold on to those 12 seats and then make nine other pickups. Now, can Democrats do that? That's the big question. And that's why it's so exciting to be covering these races, 150 races. And it's been a lot of fun and a lot of work. And you know all 300 candidates' names off the top (laughs) of your head, right? (laughs) Not quite, but uh, I, I do my best, yeah. You touched on a lot of things in that first answer, but maybe the most recent and most exciting development for the Democratic Party There's been a lot of outside money pouring into Texas, but the Biden campaign this week finally made a commitment that some Democrats, including Beto O'Rourke, have been calling for. What does that signal about what they think is possible in November? Well, I I think it signals 
you know, that, that they're serious about their challenge and that, you know, for, for any down ballot race to be serious, you got to have the good infrastructure and then you got to get the people at the top of the ticket to really be helping you out. Because the, the reality is that a lot of people are just going for the top of the ticket race, but they'll listen to that top of the ticket candidate. So when Beto, for example, Beto O'Rourke ran in 2018, that's what helped out with a lot of the 2018 wave here in Dallas, because people were so energized about Beto O'Rourke that they also went and hit those down ballot Democrats and, and ousted some pretty moderate Republicans, some incumbent Republicans who had been there for a long time. And so for Joe Biden now to be getting involved with the $6 million infusion, especially in the last month of the election, I mean, that gives you cash to to go up on, on NBC DFW, you know, and, and, and get their ads out to, to voters, also to get voter education out there about straight ticket voting and the lack of it and make sure that everybody, you hit all those down ballot candidates. So I think it sends a message that they're serious this year. And it, it's putting their money where their mouth is, really, because we've heard Democrats in the past say we're we're going to win some elections this year, and that has not come to fruition. I think this year they want to make the point that they can make it happen, and now they have the money to carry them over the finish line in a lot of these races. So Beto O'Rourke was at the top of the ticket in 2018 for the Democrats. This time, the candidate that people have the most enthusiasm for is a Republican in Donald Trump in a traditionally Republican state. So how much does that affect how these down ballot races go? Will Trump you know, diminish some of the hopes of these Democratic races with increased turnout in support of him? You know, that's the really big question. The president is a huge catalyst for both sides. He really gets Republicans amped up and his Republican supporters. And he really gets Democrats um, wanting to go to the polls and vote him out of office, you know. So that's the question that we've been kind of throwing around as well here in Texas. Us reporters who cover Texas politics is like, who actually benefits here? We know that during presidential years, voter turnout goes through the window, right? Like it just it just skyrockets. And so with a president like Donald Trump, who is such a catalyst, which side is going to benefit more, right? Um, and I think that's why you've seen a lot of the Democrats trying to expand mail voting, trying to do big voter registration drives. And to a certain extent, the, the wind is at their backs, you know, like the Democrats have been registering more voters. They are looking for a younger, more diverse electorate than the Republican Party. And to a certain extent, the Republican Party, they've got their electorate. They've had their, their winning coalition that they've been winning for the last 20 years, as we've talked about. Democrats think that by registering more voters, younger voters, people of color, they're going to get some wins. And so we'll see which way it goes in November. I'm still not quite sure. If the Democrats can really hit their goals in terms of voter registration and getting people out there, it could be a really, really close race. But one more thing I'd like to say, too, because, because we've been talking about the Democrats a lot, but the Republicans at the statehouse level, you know, they saw what happened in 2018. They felt like they were caught off guard. We talked about a lot of those democratic challenges where, where the challengers are just like, ah, making a lot of noise, right? And then nothing happens. But in 2018, something did happen because there was that enthusiasm for Beto. There was that displeasure with Donald Trump. And so Democrats and independents and some moderate Republicans who didn't like the way things were going came out and voted for Beto and voted for the Democratic bloc or just simply didn't come out and vote for Ted Cruz because they disliked him. And so this election season, Incumbent Republicans at the state house saw what happened last time when their colleagues did not campaign early enough. They did not raise 
the money that they needed to. And they frankly didn't take their competitor seriously. And then they got ousted out of office. Every Republican candidate in the state house is looking at that and saying, I am not going to risk it. And even in places like Tarrant County and Collin County, which are Republican strongholds, you've got incumbents there that are raising half a million dollars. It's just crazy money to see. And I think it shows that Republicans are not kidding around this time. They know that Democrats are on the upswing and they want to hold off some of those challenges and keep the Texas House. That's where I was wanting to go next with you, specifically to Tarrant County. You wrote a story on that about a week and a half ago. Tarrant County, somewhat surprisingly, went for Beto O'Rourke in 2018. In a presidential election, it may flip back into that Republican column. But what did some of those representatives, specifically in Tarrant County, tell you about how they're preparing for this race? That's one of the big ones, right? Tarrant County is the biggest urban county that's still voting Republican, right? And in 2018, it did go for Beto O'Rourke over Ted Cruz, which was kind of an eye-opener for a lot of people. But you got to remember the conditions of the 2018 election are not the conditions of the 2020 election. There's plenty of Republicans that actually are not super fans of Senator Ted Cruz. And so a lot of them didn't come out to vote. The state house uh, Republican candidates were caught off guard a little bit and they weren't ready for those challenges. This year, Republicans are very amped up about reelecting the president and they do not want to lose any more seats to the Democrats. So the Tarrant County State House Republicans are saying, hey, we're not taking any of this lightly. We see these folks raising half a million dollars and we want to remind people that Republicans have led Texas for the last 20 years. It's been a time of incredible prosperity for the state is what their pitch is. And that's been on the back of Republican leadership. So if you want to continue that prosperity, you want to continue seeing Texas lead, you got to vote Republican. That's what they're saying. And they're trying to get the message out there. And it's been interesting to see Republicans setting up, you know, campaign offices in Tarrant County, because that's sort of unheard of is what one Democratic candidate there in Tarrant County told me. But they also had a couple of really close scares. You know, Representative Jonathan Stickland, last election cycle, he's pretty well known because he's just this conservative firebrand. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And they, they, didn't, they didn't like um, his style in Austin. And so he came very close, I think within like two percentage points of losing in 2018. This cycle, he chose not to run. And so those open seats are really, really it's a coin flip really. And especially in a seat where the, the race was so close last time. And so, you know, the democratic candidate there, Jeff Whitfield has raised a ton of money. He just got an endorsement from a former Republican state legislator. And so it really seems like these challenges in Tarrant County, at least some of them are very, very serious. And that on the flip side, the Republicans know that and are not taking that lightly. And that's in a district it's in suburban Tarrant County, Northeastern Tarrant County, that mid-cities area. I believe it's based out of Bedford. But shifting gears to the state Senate, not in danger of flipping by any stretch, but one interesting and high-profile race there, Dallas salon owner Shelley Luther ran for an open seat. Long story short, Pat Fallon, a state senator, is running for a U.S. House district vacated by the new director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. So Shelley Luther running for that seat. How did that unfold? That was just a very crowded Republican primary that got more eyeballs, probably because Luther was involved in it. Yeah, I mean, super crowded race. What happened um, there that there's there's got to be a runoff now for, for the Senate seat is what happens whenever you have a crowded election. 
you go to a runoff. There's too many people. People can't decide. You can't get a 50% of the vote. And so you get the two strongest candidates, which are Shelly Luther and State Representative Drew Springer, going into a runoff. Could things have gone differently? Possibly if more people had gotten involved behind the scenes, maybe if some Republican you know, head honchos had, you know, smashed some heads and said, hey, listen, this is the person we want to choose. And so let's just go with this one. Let's clear the way. That didn't happen. And now we've got ourselves a good showdown between Shelly Luther, Dallas salon owner, big critic of Governor Abbott and his and his pandemic orders to stay at home. And Representative Drew Springer, who's been a he was a leader in the House last session. I think he'd been there since the early 2010s. And so he, he has some experience in, in state government level. And he, I think he's more of the um, establishment Republican here in the state, still a very conservative guy, but he is part of the state Republican Party infrastructure. Whereas Shelley Luther, I think she wants to portray herself as an outsider, very like um, Tea Party influenced. And so it'll be an interesting showdown. And it's going to also be interesting to see if the governor weighs in. Because Shelly Luther has been very critical of him, and um, we'll see if he if he gets involved. Yeah, he hasn't endorsed anybody yet, but there's still a little bit of time, and we're going a little long. But quickly, you've also written a lot about the election during a pandemic this fall. So, what do people need to know if they're voting by mail or if they're voting in person, just to how to do it safely and to make sure, especially if you're voting earlier, voting by mail, that that vote gets to the right place in time. Yes, yeah, so if you're voting by mail, the number one thing is to have a plan. And that plan includes request your ballot super early, which at this point it's 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 getting late. So if you haven't done so, request it already and then return it as soon as you get it. So experts really advise that like October 15th really should be the last day that you're returning it because that gives you about two and a half weeks to get it back to the postal service, to, to the I'm sorry, to the elections office. And so it's requested early, return it early, and then call, call, call your elections office to make sure that they've received it. We've had some trouble here in Dallas County with mail ballots being returned for some odd kink of the design of the return envelope that the Dallas County Elections Office has designed. And there are also, you know, concerns about whether the Postal Service can handle the increased interest in mail ballots. And so there's no other way to guarantee that your mail ballot gets turned in other than having a plan. And that plan, like I said, is like return it early as soon as possible. Or the other option that you have in this election is to go turn it in at the early voting clerk's office in person. You can actually just go drop it off. You'll need a voter ID, some type of voter ID to prove that you are who you say you are, but you could actually just go drop it off. And that's actually that's what I'm recommending to a lot of people because you don't, you won't have to wait in a super long line and there is no guesswork as to whether it's going to get there on time. You know, you're hand delivering it there to a person and you avoid crowds. All right. James Barragon with the Dallas Morning News. Thanks for jumping on with us this week. Thanks. This was fun. Make sure to check out all of James's work at DallasNews.com. They're a media partner of NBC5. Jim Riddlesberger has taught political science at TCU since 1982 with an emphasis on Texas politics, Congress, and the presidency. To help us better understand why control of the Texas House matters so much this election cycle, he gives us a primer on the state legislature and explains how the state's demographics are shaping its politics. TCU political science professor Jim Riddlesberger joins us now on the Lone Star Politics podcast. 
Thank you for taking the time to stop by today. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start with a little bit more big picture look at the Texas legislature. Two chambers, just like U.S. Congress, but how does it operate differently or similarly to the United States Congress? Well, in many ways, of course, it's a legislative body and it's a bicameral system. So in many ways, it actually is quite similar to the uh, uh, congressional organization that we're more familiar with. There are two big differences in Texas compared to the national legislature. One is that in Texas, the legislature is relatively more powerful than the Congress is in the United States. Clearly, the uh, first branch of Texas politics is the legislative branch, and the governorship is less powerful than the presidency is. So that's one major difference. The other one is that traditionally, although this has changed, obviously, in the last 20 years, the Texas legislature has been organized around personal relationships with the leaders of the two chambers. So the lieutenant governor and the Texas Speaker of the House are very powerful actors in state politics. And those personal relationships have been along party lines to some degree, but also have been across party lines. So for example, while in Congress you see all of the committees are chaired by the majority party, in Texas you'll find both, te- both Democrats and Republicans chairing committees and those chairs are picked by the chamber leaders. So it's the politics of personal relationships. And though party obviously is very important, even in Texas, um, it's been less important in terms of the way the legislatures have run over the years. And of course, just to to kind of get ahead of ourselves here a little bit, one of the big issues uh, in 2021 will be the selection of the Speaker of the House and uh, who will be leading that chamber. And of course, that depends in part on the outcome of the elections this year. So let's skip ahead a little bit. The House is in play this year for both parties. Republicans still have the advantage, but the Democrats need nine seats to flip that House. Normally at this point in an election cycle, some Republicans might be tossing their name in the hat for that speakership, but that's not happened this time. Yeah, I mean, one of the unwritten rules of the Texas legislature has always been that uh, if you announce you're a candidate as Speaker of the House, you probably will not be uh, selected. Like I said, it's a politics of personal relationships. So I can assure you that the phone lines among members of the legislature are very rapidly, but it's a well-kept secret because remember that the, uh, the, the Speaker appoints the chairman, he appoints all the committees, and then he appoints the chairman of the committees. And the result of that is that everyone wants to be in good with the next speaker. So they don't want to announce who they're for at this point in case the person that they're backing might not be the person who's selected as Speaker of the House. There's a lot of of back slapping, a lot of closed door meetings, uh, a lot of secrecy, and a lot of intrigue in the selection of the Speaker of the Texas House. And there's a lot of interest in the Texas House this election cycle in general. Democrats picked up 12 seats in 2018. They need nine, as I just mentioned, to flip and take control of the House. How likely do you think that is, considering they also have to hold those dozen seats that they won two years ago? There are maybe 25 to 30 seats in play this year. Several of those are the ones that flipped two years ago. There are more Republicans at risk than Democrats, but uh, of the competitive seats, uh, Democrats would have to win two out of three statewide in order to uh, get control of the Texas House. I think that that's less likely than uh, it is likely. I don't know what the exact 
right uh, proportion would be, but it would be obviously a very, very big story if the Texas Democrats were able to flip the House. One thing working kind of to their advantage is that although the Republicans obviously drew the district lines in the 2011 legislative session, in some cases they drew those lines thinking that, that districts that were kind of comfortably Republican would remain comfortably Republican for a whole decade. And what we found in 2018 and what we're seeing in 2020 is some of those districts that may have been, let's say, 60, 40 Republicans to Democrats have changed so much demographically that the built-in advantages that the Republicans had in those districts has disappeared. And that means that they, by cutting those districts a little too thin, have made them competitive. So it would be possible for the Democrats to gain a control in the Texas House of Representatives, even if they didn't get more votes statewide than the Republicans did. So it's a very interesting thing to watch. So almost like a little mini electoral college scenario playing yeah, out in that right. sense. And, and similar to, of course, the U.S. House as well. Dr. Riddlesberger, in 2021, there will be new districts drawn, and that's part of why there's so much attention on this this time around, right? Absolutely. Look, uh, uh, Governor Abbott uh, is not up for re-election this year. He'll be governor next uh, year. The state Senate is really not up for election. Only half the Senate is up in any given election year. And, uh, you know, the Democrats just simply cannot win enough seats among the ones that are up for election this year to gain control of the Senate. So we know, and of course, Dan Patrick will be the lieutenant governor. So even if it were more or less a tie, he would have the edge of, of authority. So those two entities are not going to be controlled by the Democrats. So how can the Democrats have a hope of having a voice in the redistricting politics of Texas for the U.S. House of Representatives, for the Texas State Senate, and for the Texas House of Representatives? The answer would be only if they could win a majority in the Texas House. So structurally, what makes the Senate much more of a Republican stronghold than the House? Well, there are only 31 seats in the Senate, and with only half up for re-election in any given year, the possibility of kind of flipping the Senate is really limited in any given year. Now, over time it isn't, but in order for the Democrats to take control of the Senate, they probably would have to have two or three or four good cycles in a row, because as you know, incumbents are so likely to be re-elected in these elections that it takes a long time to take control of the Senate. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the leader of the Senate, and unlike in the uh, U.S. Congress, where the vice president is really only a, a title as president of the Senate, he doesn't have any real authority in the Senate at all. In the Texas Senate, the lieutenant governor really has almost dictatorial powers if he can get as many as 11 members of the Senate to agree with him because the Senate has a two-thirds rule and they can only even vote on a bill if two-thirds of the senators agree. So, so the Democrats would probably have to win by, I don't know, two or three seats in order to really functionally have control of the Senate. And that's not going to happen in the 2020 cycle. Enthusiasm-wise, Beto O'Rourke was at the top of the ticket for the Democrats in 2018. This year, President Trump is probably the candidate in Texas that generates the most enthusiasm one way or the other. So how does that bode differently for both parties when you talk about these down-ballot races in November? Well, presidential election years are, of course, always higher turnout elections. People go to vote 
in the election because of the president, not because of the Texas House or because of the Texas Senate. And so really and truly the kind of art of looking into your crystal ball and figuring out what's going to happen in these Texas House elections is really a very, very difficult one because we just don't know how many people are going to turn out and then how people are going to vote down ballot when they showed up to vote for the presidential election. What complicates it even further in the 2020 election is that in the old days, you could go into the ballot box and you could mark one place. Uh, You could mark Democrat or you could mark Republican. And if you did that, you would vote for, let's say you're supporting for President, President Trump, you would vote Republican, and then you could vote straight ticket Republican and vote for all the Republicans down ballot. And so we used to talk about presidential coattails having a huge impact on down ballot elections in Texas. That's not as clear this year because there's no more straight party ticket voting in Texas. Voters will actually have to mark every single election in order to vote. And what we don't know is how many people might be crossover voters, that is, vote for, let's say, Joe Biden for president because they don't like Donald Trump, but then vote for um, Republicans down ballot. We don't know how many of those people are going to be there. Of course, we've never known that either. But for lazy voters, it was always just really easy to just mark the party line. And we don't know what the fall off effect is going to be. You know, a lot of voters, when they vote, they know the names Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But once you get down to the House seat, they're not going to know the names, even the names, much less the party of their state representatives. And so the result is, are they going to be comfortable voting in those elections, even if they don't know who the candidates are? Or will some of them simply not vote in those elections because they don't know the candidates? And we're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out this year because we've never done it this way before. So you've been doing this for a long time. What do you forecast happening both at the top of the ticket? And then once we talk about Texas, what are the realistic expectations for both parties? Well, Texas is becoming more competitive. Texas has been You know, it had a a long history from uh, the end of the Civil War until really the turn of the 21st century, where Democrats were mostly in control. The Republicans began to take a role in Texas politics, beginning with the election of Bill Clements in 1978. But it took another 20 years for the Republicans to take over the House of Representatives. So for over about a 20, 22-year period, the Republicans were gaining and they have been comfortably in control. No Democrat has won statewide office in Texas in this century. So the Republicans have had a lockstep uh, control of Texas politics now for 20 years. But Texas politics is changing dramatically, and it's changing for a variety of reasons. One is the increased diversity of Texas ethnically and racially. One is the aging of the white population, as you know, uh, which have been the most reliably Republican voters. One is the in-migration of people from other states. Texas has been in growth mode for many years because of our healthy economy. And the result of that is that Texas has become far more competitive over the last several election cycles. Mitt Romney won Texas in the 2012 election by 16 percent. Donald Trump won in 2016 by 9 percent. And as you know, Ted Cruz defeated Beto O'Rourke, as you mentioned earlier, by less than 3% just two years ago. That indicates that Texas is becoming more competitive. 
Right now, it looks as if the Republican Party still maintains a slight majority in Texas. Most of the polls are suggesting that President Trump is up by maybe 3% or 3.5% in Texas. Most polls are suggesting that John Cornyn is doing quite well against his opponent, MJ Hagar, maybe 7 or 8% ahead in that election. And so it looks as if the 2020 election cycle will probably remain a marginally Republican cycle, but it suggests that if the Republican Party wants to remain the majority party in Texas, that they're going to have to do some self-examination and you're going to have to rethink how they envision uh, state politics because Texas is going to be a majority Hispanic state within five or six years. We know that because the people who are going to make that population are already alive. And as you probably know, our public schools have been majority Hispanic for probably 10 years, and the proportion of Hispanic students in our public schools is growing every year. And basically, at this point in time, uh, we have 40% white population and 40% Hispanic population in Texas. The African-American population has kind of been stable at 12, 12.5% over many years. The other growing population in Texas is the Asian community, which was barely a blip on the screen 20 years ago and now is now up at 5 or 6%. And Asian Americans vote in high numbers and are very reliably Democratic voters overall. So the politics of Texas are changing, and demographics are the primary reason that that's happening. Well, that's a lot to look forward to come November 3rd. We'll just have to wait and see. Professor Riddlesberger, thank you for taking the time to stop by today. Uh, delighted to do it. To stay up to date on everything Texas politics, check out NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week when we're back with a full show with Julian Gromer.